uh, emails from uh, missionaries and other pastors. As uh, I've been back home, there is universal agreement. I read an email from Dave and Becky Thompson yesterday uh, who started the Bangalow Hospital. Dave is a surgeon, Becky is a nurse, and they started the uh, Bangalow Hospital uh, some 42 years ago and are now working in Egypt. Uh, and God has uh, used them mightily, and they acknowledged that it was uh, the most powerful council they had ever attended. Uh, others have concurred with that conviction. Um, it was just a wonderful, wonderful time. And I wanted to tell you all about it in one message, and I realized that that would be a little bit like drinking from a fire hose, and uh, it would probably uh, be overwhelming for one message this morning, so I'm going to take a few Sundays uh, to talk about some of the key elements that we were reminded of as our identity and our mission and our calling. But uh, suffice it to say that council started out with uh, John Stumbo leading us uh, in a message that focused on God's forgiveness and on our identity as a Christ-centered Acts 1-8 family. Now, that's a phrase that uh, as we see video clips at various times over the next couple of weeks, you're going to hear often because it's a phrase that God has given him uh, that captures the essence of who we are as the Christian Missionary Alliance. A Christ-centered Acts 1-8 family. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning uh, as I pick up the theme of his message. But I want you to see uh, how he introduces that on Tuesday evening at the worship service where council officially begins. And we're going to see about a four-minute uh, clip of his introduction and perhaps pick up a little bit of the flavor of this uh, powerful time that we had together. So let's uh, watch that video. Well, Christ-Centered Acts 1-8 family, welcome to Council 2017, Columbus, Ohio. We've been preparing for two years for your arrival. I'm so proud of how our team has prepared so many things, and we are just thrilled that you are joining this with us as the Alliance family in these days. Tonight's theme is very simply Jesus. <laughs> Throughout the week, who by the power of the Spirit sends us on mission to the world, and we get to do that together. The Christ-centered Acts 1-8 family. It's not only an identity statement about who we are, it's an outline for how we're going about this week, and we're excited to spend it together. This Alliance family speaking dozens of languages that are very different, but one language that we all share in common is we speak gospel. We cherish and tell the good news of Jesus, our heart language, so to speak, our mother tongue, so to speak. What stirs us is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I want you to remember with me and celebrate with me tonight the gospel. We will close our time this evening together by sharing in the Lord's table. But as we speak 
gospel, the good news of Jesus, we are reminded that Jesus had to come through a virgin mother's womb before he could come someday on the glorious clouds of heaven. He had to experience what it is to be human before he could express himself as humanity's king. He had to live in our home, our world, before he could take us to live in his. He had to walk dusty roads with us before he could ride on heaven's clouds with us. He had to teach us the ways of the Father before he could take us to live with him. Be the root out of dry ground before he could be the rose of Sharon. He had to be the Lamb of God before he could be the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Be despised and rejected before he could be recognized as the King of Kings. Be pierced for our transgressions before he could be praised by the transgressors. He had to be the crucified one before he could be the glorified one. Be a man of sorrows before he could be the Lord of salvation. He had to shed tears of his own before he could wipe them from our eyes. He had to suffer before he could reign, bear punishment before he could bring peace. He had to be wounded before he could be exalted. To carry our iniquity before he could carry us into eternity. He had to wear the crown of thorns before he could wear the crowns of glory. He had to overthrow the tables in the temple before he could open the gates of heaven. He had to share in our suffering with us before he could share his glory with us be rejected by his own before he could gather his own, shred the curtain of the temple before he could walk with us on the golden streets. He had to submit to punishing soldiers before he could lead heaven's armies, be cursed as a blasphemer before he could be confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord. He had to be the one from whom men hide their faces before he could be the one before whom every knee will bow. He had to be the resurrected king before he could be the resurrecting king. To ascend into heaven before he could return from heaven. To, to rule at the Father's right hand before he could, we could reign with him. He had to teach us the ways of the kingdom before he could take us there. And one of the teachings of the kingdom that I want to bring to us tonight is found in Matthew 18. It's a parable that's well known to us, and I've invited Robin from our worship team at Grace to read the scripture tonight with the desire that we will be granted fresh perspective on this passage. For those of you that uh, are not familiar with uh, John Stumbo's story, he was, by the way, just re-elected for another four-year term as the president of the Christian Missionary Alliance. But about uh, eight uh, to ten years ago, uh, John Stumbo, a vigorous athlete and a runner, um, found himself uh, growing strangely weak, his muscles not seeming to work appropriately. And uh, before uh, long, within a matter of days, he found himself in the hospital and ultimately found himself in intensive care with an illness that no one could diagnose. Uh, they had no idea what was wrong with him. He was uh, completely uh, bedridden, helpless, uh, unable to move himself, unable to eat, um, unable to swallow. Uh, his uh, muscles were completely weakened. 
and there was very little hope for his recovery. Um, John spent about uh, two years almost in that condition, uh, showing very little progress, um, and then uh, God began to intervene in his life in some significant and powerful ways. Uh, it took him quite a while to see a full recovery. It was not an instant healing with him. It was a gradual healing. Um, he ate his meals uh, through a straw for well over a year. He was obviously unable to work and continue to pastor. And um, his life was just reduced to barely uh, surviving. And yet the Lord touched him and during that time began to minister to him and to show him some of the things that he had for him in the future. And as his strength recovered, as mysteriously as it disappeared, um, it became obvious to him that God was placing a call upon him that if asked, he would serve as the president of the Christian Missionary Alliance. Uh, you see him today. He's not without some uh, residual characteristics, and that little hint of raspiness you hear in his voice occasionally is one of the residual effects of that uh, time when he was unable to speak at all. But God has powerfully restored him, and he is a testimony to our conviction that Christ is our Savior, our Sanctifier, our Healer, and our coming King. And that one of the ministries that Jesus has for us uh, through His resurrection power and His atonement on the cross is that He is our Healer and we are invited to look to Him uh, for healing and for strength uh, in order to accomplish uh, His purposes in our life. Well, I want to go back to that statement this morning that John mentioned a couple of times just in that first four minutes and probably mentioned a dozen times every time he stood to speak that we are a Christ-centered Acts 1-8 family. And I want to unpack that a little bit for us this morning and look at the, the essence of of that statement and what it says about us and what our convictions are. And it begins with the simple affirmation that we are a Christ-centered family. That Jesus Christ is the focus and the center of all that we are about. If you go back 130 years to the beginning of the Christian Missionary Alliance... Dr. A.B. Simpson uh, put it this way, Jesus only is our message. He is the one on whom we place all of our attention. We want to lift Him up. In a day when uh, the Pentecostal revival was sweeping uh, various continents, uh, beginning in Azusa Street in the United States, but going to other places, we did not deny the power of God and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but we were careful not to focus upon the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said, when He comes, He will speak of Me. 
and he will bring to your remembrance all the things that I have taught you. And he will empower you so that the things that I have done, you can do also, and even greater things, because I'm going to my Father and I'm going to pour my Spirit out upon you. Uh, Simpson was wise in his uh, understanding that although the Holy Spirit is the, the presence of God in this world and upon our lives, the one who indwells us at conversion and empowers us at his outpouring and filling, nonetheless, the goal and the purpose is to lift up and exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, John chapter 12, I will draw all people to myself. And that uh, message, uh, John says, he spoke concerning the method or the means by which he would die. And what he meant was, uh, we often quote that thinking that it means we're going to lift up and exalt the name of Jesus. But what Jesus was actually saying is, if I am crucified and lifted up from the ground on a cross and lifted up above the earth in the cross, I will draw all people to myself. It is because of his death on the cross. It is because of his atonement that we are able to be forgiven and drawn back into relationship with the father. It is the message that we are compelled to proclaim that there is redemption, there is forgiveness, there is salvation, there is a relationship with God through the atonement of Jesus Christ. He has made it possible for us to be completely forgiven and restored to a right relationship with God. And so He was uh, crucified for us, He was buried, and He rose again from the dead that he might ascend on high and pour out his Holy Spirit upon us. We are also reminded that he told his disciples, as I mentioned just a moment ago, that I will not leave you orphans. I won't leave you by yourself. But the same Spirit that has been upon me and who has been with you shall be in you. And... He will come upon you and give you power so that the things which I have done, you shall do also and greater things because I'm going to my Father. I think we read those words or we hear them spoken today and we have a difficult time relating to them. We kind of relegate them to one of those uh, passages of Scripture that's, yeah, yeah, nice, nice, but... Uh, we don't uh, believe it really because we don't see it. We don't experience the power of God the way Jesus said we would. The things that I have done, you shall do also. <laughs> what were those things? Well, he healed the sick. He cast out demons. The blind received sight. The lame walked. Uh, Matthew tells us that these uh, mighty deeds and signs and wonders were in keeping with the fulfillment of the promise of Isaiah that he himself would bear our iniquities and our infirmities 
and with his stripes we would be healed. That his very ministry of healing and deliverance was a ministry that was the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah concerning the atonement. And Jesus said, the things that I have done, you will do. And in my name, as you go, you will cast out demons. You will tread upon serpents and they will not harm you. You will speak with new tongues. You will uh, share the gospel and spread the good news with power and, and with Holy Spirit anointing. And I will accompany you all the way to the ends of the earth. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Also, Jesus Christ is the focus of our lives. He is the center of our worship. He is the one whom we exalt and magnify as our Savior, who has redeemed us with His own blood. He is our sanctifier. He is the one who makes us holy. I was having a conversation a couple of weeks ago uh, with one of my sons who is uh, kind of fighting a battle right now uh, to, to win a victory uh, in his life as he is uh, learning to trust Christ in the practical needs of life. And in the process of that, I reminded him that it is not his responsibility to make himself holy. It's not your responsibility to make yourself holy. It is Jesus who promises to make us holy. Sanctification is His responsibility. He is the sanctifier. He has been made unto us wisdom and righteousness and, and, and redemption. He is the one who transforms us and changes us. And our responsibility is to simply trust Him to do it. We often spend so much time uh, trying to uh, perform the deeds of Christianity, and we do so with exhaustion and failure, when Jesus promises that He Himself will do this in our lives. He is the sanctifier. He is the healer. He is the one who heals the emotions. The one who heals the mind and, and the scars of the past. He is the one who heals the body. It is by His power that He touches us and transforms us. He is the one who is coming again and gives us a hope for the future and a purpose and a meaning to life. We need to recognize that our primary message is Jesus first. Jesus only. Jesus is our message. We are a Christ-centered Acts 1-8 family. And we need to recognize that our first responsibility is to lift up Jesus Christ. Because as He is exalted... And as He is praised, and as the Gospel, we speak Gospel, and as the Gospel is proclaimed, the good news of Jesus Christ, He brings transformation. All over the world, the Alliance family is seeing uh, men and women come to faith in Christ in all kinds of dire circumstances, in places even 
where their very lives are being threatened. In fact, one of the things that we uh, were privileged to experience at council was the testimony of a number of spiritual leaders from other parts of the world. And uh, there were several times when the live feed was shut off. And when uh, John Stumbo said, please put away your cell phones, do not take any pictures, do not make any recordings, do not mention anything about this in social media, do not name the country, do not name the workers, do not tell anyone else about what you're seeing or experiencing, lest it be um, uh, harvested from the, the data uh, network that's out there uh, you know, in the ether space, because we're going to hear from people whose lives would be in danger, who would be killed if they were known and made public as to their true identity and purpose. Places all over the world where people are putting their lives on the line as they've come to know Jesus Christ. We, we heard about uh, intellectuals and professors and uh, scholars who are being converted as they long for meaning and true understanding in their life and they find that ultimately in the person of Jesus Christ. But also we hear about uh, those who are in the refugee camps, and we hear about others who are uh, struggling in war-torn countries. We hear about those who are suffering uh, unimaginable illnesses and uh, suffering under uh, horrible regimes, and God is meeting them and ministering to them as the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed. It made me wish in many ways that I did not live in nice, safe, secure, comfortable McHenry, Illinois, where uh, I am free to come here in public and assemble and worship and go home and just be ho-hum. Because God is doing exciting things around the world with people whose lives are on the line for their faith in Jesus Christ. And that has a tendency to make you really real. It has a tendency to increase your faith. Because if you don't trust Him, you have nothing else on which to rely or hang. Uh, Jesus Christ is the only one uh, whom we can trust. So we are a Christ-centered acts one eight family. Well, what about that Acts one eight part? I want to begin reading in Acts uh, chapter one verse four the passage it was read for, for you earlier. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, "You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit." Not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You know, I want to take you back again about a hundred and so, thirteen years or so to 1904, when a mighty revival broke out and swept across the English-speaking world. It included South Wales, it included England, it included South Africa, uh, it touched people uh, in the United States and in other places uh, where English was the predominant language. As God began to pour himself out in a visitation of his presence mightily upon the church, and as that message and that uh, powerful revival uh, began to take shape, uh, people um, called attention to the Holy Spirit. And there were uh, kind of two streams of this uh, Holy Spirit renewal that came upon the church. Sometimes they were merged, but oftentimes one of those streams was emphasized over the other. Those two streams were the power of God and the deeper life. One of them, the deeper life, focuses on what the Holy Spirit does in our lives to make us holy. That uh, He brings us into a place of rest and of dependence upon Him uh, for a deeper quality of life that is free from painful striving uh, to be holy and to come to a place of restful trust as we draw from the wellsprings of the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit uh, to, to make us uh, close to God and dependent upon His presence for our intimate union with Him. That deeper life became a focus of the revival. Another stream was the power of God. That as the Holy Spirit would come upon a group of people or a church, a congregation, God's power would be poured out. And uh, in that powerful outpouring, there would be miracles. There would be uh, people uh, healed. There would be people restored. There would be uh, people delivered from demonic bondage. There would be an outpouring of the power of God that would transform uh, sinners who were uh, in bondage to their sin uh, miraculously in the blink of an eye. And God did mighty things through that power. Pentecostalism, uh, as a movement, embraced the power, whereas other denominations embraced the deeper life. There were few who knew how to uh, combine 
both the power and the deeper life in a way that was blended so that the holiness became a part of the manifestation of the Spirit of God, but the power of God was manifest in the lives of the people in such a way that mighty things were happening. Dr. A.B. Simpson was one of those who was able to discern that the ministry of the Holy Spirit was uh, in the outpouring and baptism of His presence was to give us His power that was accompanied by a relationship with Him characterized by holiness. And so... Uh, becoming neither Pentecostal nor purely deeper life, uh, we kind of walked to a different drummer uh, in that period of time because we wanted to see uh, both of those things accomplished within the church. And so, just as at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when it says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, They were all together in this upper room in one accord and in one place. And there came a sound like a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the place where they were. It it came roaring in uh, as a mighty wind. And in filling the place, there came upon each of them uh, tongues like fire that rested upon their heads. And uh, those tongues of fire uh, purified and cleansed them. And so there were both elements that occurred on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came rushing in in mighty power. But there is the recognition that as He came, He anointed every one of them with a flame of fire upon their head that symbolized His holiness. He is, after all, the Holy Spirit. And so His holiness rested upon them. And as they were filled with the power of God, Jesus had said to them, although they had been indwelt by the Spirit, At his resurrection. Do you remember uh, him meeting with them in the upper room? And in John, uh, the scripture says, he breathed upon them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. That was not a rushing mighty wind, but it was the breath of Jesus Christ. Breathing upon them the resurrected life that raised him from the dead. And uh, contrary to what some have called the Johannine Pentecost, uh, I don't know why they do that, because they have absolutely nothing in common between uh, Luke's account in Acts of Pentecost, uh, the day of Pentecost, and John's account of what happened in the upper room. But Jesus uh, breathed upon them His own breath, and said, receive the Holy Spirit, and they were indwelt and born again in that moment, just as every believer who repents and trusts Jesus Christ for salvation 
is indwelt and caused to be reborn by the Holy Spirit. But he said to them, do not try to accomplish this work. I have said you will be my witnesses throughout all the earth. I have taught you the things that I have done. I have promised you that you would do these same things and greater because I'm going to my Father. But do not attempt to do anything until the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon you in power. Go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And you shall receive power to be my witness in word and in deed. And so when the day of Pentecost had fully come, as they were in one accord in one place, Obedient to what the Lord Jesus Christ had told them. Wait in Jerusalem. They were waiting. They had not attempted to evangelize. They had not attempted to heal anyone. They had not attempted to cast out any demons. They were simply waiting in the upper room for the promise of the Father. And when the day of Pentecost came, and the Holy Spirit came rushing in upon him, they were baptized in the Spirit. You say, what is the difference between indwelling and baptism? Well, the Holy Spirit can live inside you and still not fill or possess you. As in the Ephesians 5 passage, do not be drunk with wine where it is excess but be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, a quality of life that is characterized by the abundant life of joy and exuberance and and empowerment. Paul says, be like those that are drunk on the Spirit, under the influence of the Spirit. And so, there is that filling of the Holy Spirit that moves from the center of our being to possess all of our being. We talked about that several weeks back when we were looking at Romans chapter 6. But there is also that covering and anointing of the Holy Spirit as He comes upon us. And that happened even in the Old Testament as people were anointed by the Holy Spirit. It's as if He were poured over them like the oil was poured over Aaron's head and ran down upon his garments as one who was anointed by the Spirit. There's a lot of symbolism in that. And so, uh, on the day of Pentecost, they were baptized by the Holy Spirit. As He came mightily upon them, And what happened? People were attracted to the noise. They were attracted to the rushing wind. There are accounts going back to the revival of over a hundred years ago. uh, There were accounts of very interesting 
of people coming out to see the fire because they recognized that a church had caught fire and they wanted to come and see uh, what was burning uh, to see, uh, you know, what they could do for that which was burning only to discover that there was a flame upon the building, but the church was not being touched by it. And the people were still inside, excited and praising God about the outpouring of His power. And it was the uh, coming of the Holy Spirit in power upon them that drew townspeople out to see the, the fire that was burning only to discover it was a spiritual fire and to stay to hear the message. And many were converted. And so on the day of Pentecost, God Himself drew the people to stop and pay attention. They turned to where the sound of this rushing wind had come. They, they turned to see what was going on in this upper room. And... Uh, one gains the impression that the people kind of exploded out of the room, that they moved away from that uh, confinement, and they were filled with joy and, and filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues. And on Pentecost Day, they spoke with the tongues of all the languages of the people that were represented. It was a time of celebration in Jerusalem and people had made a journey from all parts of the Roman Empire and all kinds of languages and dialects were represented in those people and they heard them speaking in their own tongue. These unlearned Jews uh, were speaking to them in their mother tongue and they thought, what is happening here? Uh, what is this uh, we're hearing, that we are hearing this message uh, in our own language? And then they were acting in such a way that, like Paul said in Ephesians 5, they looked like they might be drunk. They were reveling in the Holy Spirit. Uh, there was excitement. I'll bet there was dancing I'll bet they were clapping and, and excited. Can you imagine what would happen if you had been waiting for the promise of the Father and today He poured Himself out upon us and suddenly this room was filled with His presence and a mighty rushing wind came sweeping through and suddenly you were caught up in the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you know how that would feel? Do you know what we would experience? There would be dancing. There would be praising there would be excitement. We would be shouting and giving glory to God for all that He was doing. And there's every indication that that was going on. And at 9 o'clock in the morning, the people that had come to hear them were saying, these people are drunk. They've lost their minds. Look at them. They're acting like drunken people. And Peter stood up in the power of the Spirit and said, These people are not drunk as you suppose, but this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel, that upon uh, your old men uh, I will pour out my Spirit, and, and your uh, young men and young women will dream dreams and see visions, and I will pour my Spirit out upon them and make my presence known. 
And as he explained the message of what they were witnessing and beholding and the promise and prophecy of Joel and explained how Jesus had died for them on the cross and been resurrected and raised and now he had come to abide with them in the person and presence of his Holy Spirit. The scripture said 3,000 souls were converted in that very day, in that hour as Peter preached the message of Jesus Christ. I am so thrilled when I hear a story that one of you relates of someone you've been praying for and cultivating that has come to Jesus. It is such a joy to to my spirit. And the scripture says heaven rejoices over one sinner that is converted. That is such a thrilling uh, moment in the kingdom as another lost one whom God loves has come home to him. But what would it be like if suddenly this room were packed and we had to open the windows And they were standing on the lawn and they filled the parking lot and we had to move some of the speakers so that they would broadcast out the windows and 3,000 people from this town were together around this church and as they heard the gospel explained and preached, 3,000 were converted in a single day, in a single moment of time. Because the Holy Spirit had done what no human being can do. What would that be like? Can you see it? Can you imagine it? Can you see, can you see healing? Can you see full restoration? Can you see people in bondage delivered? Can you see God's glory come upon this place? We are a Christ-centered Acts 1-8 family. We are a family who rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit to do what no human being can do. To accomplish what no person can accomplish to effect powerful change where we are helpless to effect that kind of change. We have a God for whom nothing is impossible. He himself says, I am God. Is there anything too hard for me? He made the universe. He hung the stars in space. He crafted the world and then He shaped you and me from the dust of the ground. He breathed into our nostrils the breath of life. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. He is the creator and sustainer of all the universe and everyone in it. Is there anything too hard for God? He can cause a 90-year-old woman, Sarah, to become pregnant. He can cause another old woman beyond the childbearing years, Elizabeth, to become pregnant. And then he can cause a virgin who has never known or slept with a man. He can cause her 
to become pregnant with the Lord Jesus Christ. That which is in you is out of the Holy Spirit. He is a God who can raise the dead. He is a God who can calm the storm. He is a God who can conquer demons. We can't do any of those things. We have no power to do that. But our God can do that. He is the mighty one. He is mighty to save and his arm is not too short. We are an Acts 1-8 family. It is our focus and our message to look to Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to do what no one else can do. And finally, we're a family. We belong together. We were made to love each other. Every one of us is a brick, a block in the building of God. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, that the cement, the mortar that holds us together is love. We are a family that loves one another, that prays for one another. We're there for one another. We encourage one another. We lift one another up. We weep when one another weeps. We rejoice when others rejoice. We hold each other dear in the presence of God. We are His family. Uh, Acts 1-8 family. Do you love the people in this room like that? I'm going to be talking next week about what it means in love and forgiveness. And loving each other is of primary importance. Jesus said, this is how all people will know that you're my disciples, by the way you love each other. There's a quality of our love that goes beyond any other kind of human relationship. There is a depth to our love in Jesus that binds us together uh, for now and for eternity. And we cherish each other. We are a Christ-centered Acts 1-8 family. Are you part of that family this morning? Do you recognize that truth about yourself? Are you hungry for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Do you long to have Jesus the focus and the center of your life? Do you long to be that kind of family? Or are you under conviction that you need to be that kind of family? Friends, we spent a week being filled up with the truth of God and reminded that we are a Christ-centered Acts 1-8 family. Is that the family that you belong to? Will you open your heart this morning to let God do whatever He wants to do to draw you to Himself?
to accomplish His purpose in you, to fill you with His Spirit. Until we are Spirit-filled, baptized, anointed in His power, we are not going to see the mighty power of God. And God has called us to live supernatural lives in a supernatural realm. Not doing it the ordinary way, but doing it by His power. Would you open your heart to Him this morning? Father, I pray in Jesus' name that You would call us, that You would speak to us, that we might be that Christ-centered Acts 1-8 family. It's not the Christian and Missionary Alliance that holds a corner on that truth. That's what you have designed for all of your body. But I pray this morning that we in particular would be those who lift up Jesus, who rely upon the Holy Spirit, who love each other from the depth of our being, because of your presence among us. In Jesus' name, amen.